0: Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, the show dedicated to pets and the people who love them. Brought to you by DrRogerHolisticVet.com, the place for safe and effective natural healing for dogs and cats. Now, here's your host, practicing veterinarian, Dr. Roger Welton. Hello, pet lovers, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, practicing veterinarian, coming to you from the Florida Space Coast. We are continuing our pet preventative pet healthcare series tonight. Tonight we will be talking about parvo. It is a canine disease, a very important disease, very deadly, and far too common for this day and age. So please stick around for our talk on parvo and how we prevent it. Before we jump into our topic, we do have a email question submitted by Darcy from San Diego. For those of you who would like to participate in the show, as Darcy has done tonight, feel free to email us at comments at web-dvm.net, comments at web-dvm.net, whether it's a question or comment, I'd be happy to address it on the show, this is what Darcy had to say. Dear Dr. Roger, I applaud your efforts to really break down the hows and whys of why veterinarians recommend what they do. But you have mentioned that you follow AVMA and AHA vaccine protocols. These protocols mandate once every 3-year vaccination for distemper and parvo. Being a more holistically minded pet owner, I have opted to not follow AHA or AVMA vaccine recommendations, but instead run antibody titers each year for my Italian Greyhound. We were at we are at year 5 since his last DHPP vaccine and still have adequate titers. Yet AHA and AVMA recommend once every three years for this vaccine. Would you care to comment on this? Thanks, Darcy. So this is a very important question because what Darcy is referring to is protective antibody titers. So protective antibody titers are a level of antibody that is generated by either a patient having suffered from and recovered from a particular disease and carries now long-term the antibodies for it to prevent relapse of disease or reinfection. Or we have used an antigenic substance that we have injected into the pet that mimics the disease but is not the disease itself. Usually it's either modified or killed virus. And it generates an antibody response that is protective as well. So there's one of two ways a patient can have protective antibodies. I would prefer them to have the vaccine protective antibody, of course, because that means they haven't suffered from or nearly died from a disease to get that protective antibody. So what Darcy's saying here is that she sees a conflict between AHA and AVMA recommendations. So AHA is the American Animal Hospital Association. AVMA is the American Veterinary Medical Association. There are two main governing bodies in veterinary medicine, and we hold a lot of clout, or they hold a lot of clout, because they are actively involved in ongoing research constantly, one of which many years ago led to this whole vaccine revolution in creating lifestyle-specific vaccine protocols, geographic-specific vaccine protocols. Not all diseases exist all over the place, so your pet may not be at risk for a particular disease. So why vaccinate for it? That sort of thing. But they've also came to recognize that the protection for a lot of these diseases was lasting much longer than originally thought. And so they were actually engaged in finding that fine line between vaccinating minimally while still having optimal protection. So just to clarify who they are. So what what Darcy's doing is rather than follow the AVMA and AHA protocols that they derive through their research, she's just relying on protective antibody titers. And what she's asking is, why, do, why does her observation of protective titers five years post last vaccine, why is that conflicting with the three-year recommendation of AHA and AVMA? It is a very good and very fair question. And the answer to that is protective antibodies are just one small part of the entire immunity of a patient. Immune, the immune system is so complex that it, it, it in veterinary school it takes an entire semester of study every day, Monday through Friday, <laughs> for an entire semester to to even start to get a grasp of the immune system, the different parts of it, how it works. And even then, without a PhD in immunology, it, to, to really fully know it is is is. It's, it's a very challenging course of study, so just imagine um, how a, a topic that is so complex that you can get a PhD in it in and of itself. So antibodies, what they do is, because they are specific for that disease or microorganism that causes the disease, so be it a virus or bacteria, as soon as the bacteria or virus enters the body, the antibodies flock to that particular organism and they coat it and they basically target it for destruction. The immune system then sees the protective antibody coating the microorganism and then selectively removes it from the system. And that's how it works. But that's really just the first line of what's known as cell-mediated immunity. There's a lot more to it. So long story short, I could do this topic all day long if I got into it too in depthly. but long story short, with the AVMA and AHA research revealed was that although there are some cases where protective antibody lasts beyond three years of age, what we see is realistic clinical protective aspect of that antibody titer starts to fall off. So, even though there is protective antibody in some cases beyond three years, the susceptibility to disease starts to increase exponentially beyond that time, despite the fact that there is a... adequate protective antibody, uh, antibody titer from a reference range perspective. So that's why we don't rely on titers specifically, um, as much as some people would like to believe that they could, it's, it's not realistic because there's so much more nuance to the immune system than just protective antibody titers. So Darcy, I hope that answers your question. I do respect what you're trying to accomplish, but I would still recommend going every three years, especially for distemper parvo, which are just very high mortality rates, very serious diseases, and there's just, as long as a dog doesn't have any particular sensitivities to a vaccine, I don't see any reason to to not uh, just do the recommendation, okay? So thank you for participating, I appreciate you taking the time. So let's get into parvo, ladies and gentlemen, parvo and dogs, this is a very uncomfortably still common disease i mean the vaccine for it's been around forever well before i was even a kennel boy in college and yet we're still seeing a parvo case every other month parvo specifically a lot of people think parvo they think diarrhea because that's the primary thing we see but it's not just diarrhea it's a very dangerous diarrhea we're talking about shedding of the lining of the intestine we're talking about bleeding so hemorrhagic diarrhea we're talking about very serious secondary bacterial infection. And here's the most troubling part of parvovirus. Parvo is very stable in the environment because the parvovirus has a protein coating that, that imparts on it major ability to exist or propagate in the environment. Um, there, there are some reports that have it's been found in the environment after a year. I mean, that's just unbelievable and it's, it's very concerning. And it, it, it's also known to survive treatment with common disinfectants like alcohol or iodine. So, you know, what we're, what we're using most commonly is uh, bleach actually to, to, to kill this uh, virus when we suspect cases of it. And that's what it takes to kill this. We have to use bleach. Uh, one, one part bleach to 32 parts water is what the recommendation is to kill parvo. So, it persists very effectively in the environment, and as a result, it's easily sniffed up or licked up by a passing dog. And because it's so contagious, hospitalization for it is it requires uh, isolation. So isolation wards are not inexpensive to maintain. You need negative pressure ventilation. You need plexiglass caging, hospital caging, hospital warding, whatever you want to call it. Um, all kinds of measures have to be taken. The treating technicians and veterinarians that go in to examine the patient, treat the patient, have to be in isolation gear. I mean, literally, they're almost looking like the Ebola workers that you see right now uh, overseas. We, You know, th- this disease is so easily spread and so contagious that so many precautions have to be taken, and... While you want to avoid the disease to begin with because it's so dangerous and has a very high mortality rate, 50%, with aggressive treatment, the treatment for it can be very costly because isolation, hospitalization is not cheap. So diarrhea is the first thing we think of when we think of parvovirus, but there's way more to it than that. So diarrhea is one of the first things we see when the patient's infected with parvovirus. What's going to bring up your radar for parvo? Is you know number one, there's no there's been no vaccinal immunity to it, so you know the patient is still has a naive immune system with regard to parvo. Um, Our most susceptible patients are going to be puppies under a year of age and geriatric dogs over let's say eight nine years. Those are those are our most susceptible, and of course cancer patients or otherwise immune suppressed patients are at risk as well. But any adult dog can get parvo. Um, They have a better ability to survive it, but you don't even want to go there if you can avoid that. It's such a serious disease. So the virus not only attacks the cells that line the intestine and of course cause the things that I talked about, but they also attack the bone marrow. And this is very troubling because the bone marrow is responsible for many things, but Primarily, two very important things, white blood cell synthesis and red blood cell synthesis. So, all of the blood cells of the body, the white blood cells which are responsible for our immunity and ability to fight off infection, and our red blood cells that are the red part of the blood that are the oxygen-carrying component of the blood that pick up oxygen in the lungs and deliver it to the tissues, to oxygenate tissues, that all comes from the bone marrow. And so when you have a virus that attacks the bone marrow, you're very often, or the patient very often results in having a low white cell count, which makes them susceptible to any number of secondary infections, and then they become anemic because their red blood cells are too low, because they're losing blood in their stool, but they're also Not making any new red blood cells. So, anemia, the definition of it is low red blood cells. So, these patients commonly need blood transfusions. They need to be kept on two or three intravenous antibiotics because they are so immune suppressed from the virus. And as I said, 50% of them die with treatment. And it's all really for nothing because it's so preventable. As I stated, the vaccine is extremely effective. It also is extremely safe. The vaccine technology, because it's been around so long, has been perfected and re-perfected to the point that it's so, so safe. I, I so rarely see vaccine reactions to Parvo, and, and it's something that everybody should be doing. So after a puppy nurses for mom, and if it gets ad- adequate colostrum, that is the the rit- the antibody-rich component to milk that's secreted in the first 24 to 36 hours after birth. That's a crucial time for puppies to feed. They get protective antibody from mom, but that kind of antibody, because it's not self-generated, it's brought in and ingested from mom, has a shelf life that's finite. It starts to break down somewhere between six to eight weeks of age. So we want to start Our vaccine protocol for parvo, which I do within the DHPP vaccine, as Darcy had brought up earlier, that's a four-in-one vaccine. Parvo is one of the P's of that vaccine, and I'm going to start that at six weeks of age, because between six and eight weeks of age, the titers, the protective antibody titers that they got from mom, are starting to degrade. I want protection on board before they're all out of antibody at between six and nine weeks of age. So I'll start that at six weeks, booster it at nine and 12 weeks, booster it one year later, and then from there, for the rest of the dog's life, we do it once every three years. So that's that's the protocol of AVMA and AHA, American Animal Hospital Association and the American Veterinary Medical Association, and that's how we prevent parvo. As far as recognition of parvo, If your dog is not vaccinated, like I said, there's bloody diarrhea, you want to be very, very careful in isolating that dog and getting him to a veterinarian as soon as humanly possible. But we also want to be especially vigilant if this is occurring in a puppy because the probability of bloody diarrhea in a sick puppy that it's going to be parvo is actually quite high. This day and age, again, with parvovirus, having had an effective vaccine for many, many years, to see even the incidents that I see at this point in time, it's just, it it's beyond comprehension because, you know, this is one disease where the awareness really seems to be by and large out there. A lot of pet owners come in, they'll be asking me when I give the first vaccine, they'll actually ask me, hey, is Parvo part of that? Because they know. And yet I still see a case, you know, probably once every other month, and it's just not necessary. So... That's parvo in a nutshell, ladies and gentlemen, and um, that's really all I have to say on the topic. It's very preventable, and you know all you have to do is engage in the AVMA protocols, as I stated. It's not um, a question of you know if your your pet will get parvo. It can be a question of when. If you're taking the risk and not vaccinating your puppy, especially, um, the the risk is very high. Fifty percent mortality rate. And it cannot, be t- it cannot be overstated how important it is to vaccinate for this. So earlier in this series, I talked about canine distemper and how dangerous that virus is. This is up there with distemper. So let's not mess around and make sure your pet's protected if you haven't already gotten there. Thank you for your time, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you always taking the time to listen. Uh, Darcy, much appreciated on the great question tonight about p- protective antibody titers. I'll be coming to you I, most likely next week with my next installment of the Preventative Pet Healthcare series, and that will be influenza virus, and that will complete the DHBP vaccine in dogs. That'll be the last P, para influenza virus. That's what we'll be talking about next time. Look forward to it. Have a great night.